welcome to the second episode of Behind Every Great Athlete, the sports medicine and performance podcast. Today, we are continuing on with part two of our seven-part series, where we are featuring amazing professionals from the sports medicine and sports performance fields. If you're interested in learning what it is like to work with athletes, to work in sports, and hear from all the behind the scenes heroes that help athletes perform their best, this is a podcast series you won't want to miss. In our first episode of the series, we talked to Arizona State University's head athletic trainer, Kenny McCarty. If you didn't catch that episode, make sure to check it out. But for today, we have another great episode lined up. We are going to be talking to Arizona State University's sports performance coach, Jake Garrity. Understand that athletes are going to judge you based off their connection with you. Do they trust you? Do they appreciate you? And do they feel like they're being validated and heard? More so than, do I have the best program in the world? Am I making you as strong as possible? Um, all those things do increase confidence for sure. But at the end of the day, it's, it's really about making those connections. Um, and that's, that's what matters the most to me. With five different professional certifications in the sports and nutrition fields, Garrity enjoys finding ways to diversify his strengths and knowledge as a coach to best serve his athletes. He currently has four varsity sport assignments. He works with men's swim and dive, women's swim and dive, women's indoor volleyball, and women's water polo. Jake programs workouts for all of these athletes to lead them through their strength and conditioning training and also is deeply involved in sports science and incorporates sports performance technology to gather and analyze data for all of his athletes. Coach Garrity lays everything out for us in this interview and takes us through exactly what it's like to work in his shoes. So grab a snack, get cozy, and let's get into the interview with ASU's assistant sports performance coach, Jacob Garrity. Coach Garrity, we are excited to have you on the podcast to give us an inside look into your experiences becoming a sports performance coach at ASU. Um, to start off, could you please briefly help us get introduced and acquainted with who you are, what your current job position is, and your responsibilities that you have in this role? Absolutely. Well, uh, first off, I just want to say thank you so much for, for having me on. Um, but yeah, a little bit about myself. Uh, so, yep, Coach Coach Garrity, but uh, a lot of people just call me Jake. Uh, Jake Garrity, I'm originally from Massachusetts, uh, made my way out here to Arizona State for my grad assistant position, and then uh, was fortunate enough to move up into my current role, which is uh, assistant sports performance coach for Olympic sports. Um the basic primary duties of my my role are uh, ever changing, but uh, you know the main ones are my four sports assignments. Um, so the varsity sports teams that I work with are the men's and women's swim and dive teams, uh, the indoor volleyball team, and then the women's water polo team as well. Um, a lot of the day to day for that is team programming. So that's you know working on an Excel sheet and that's designing their workouts, um, having that annual plan that you map out so you know each phase what you know, what um, intention you have, what adaptation you're going for, and, you know, what time of season it is. We factor all those things into account. 
Um, so majority of my time is spent on the floor coaching those teams during their sessions. Uh, each team probably has meets with me about three times a week uh, for about an hour. That'll fluctuate based on the time and season, but that's the majority of it. Um, another piece of my role on top of the programming and day-to-day coaches duties is actually going over to practices uh, with volleyball. I do a lot of different sports science pieces. So we have a piece of technology called Connexon, and this is a player tracking software. So we're able to give them these little tiles that they put into uh, their sports bras before practice, and that records their workload, their intensities, uh, jump count, things like that. And then not only do I get to do that in my day-to-day role, but uh, I kind of, uh, I guess, um, operating in the role without the role, but another big piece to that is uh, I do a lot of aggregation uh, interpreting and reporting of, of different performance data we get. So all the different sports technology we're fortunate to have as an Adidas school, I get to utilize that, uh, help inform my decision-making with my teams and help other coaches on the R&R staff uh, do what they need to do as well, because uh, nothing is going to fit everyone and we want to individualize and make sure we're hitting the needs for, for every student athlete that comes our way. We want to learn about the path you took to get to where you are now. So can you begin with your early educational background and could you take us through your undergraduate experience and what the plans and visions you had for yourself were then? Absolutely. Um, yeah, so for me, this this really sparked uh, all the way back in high school. Um, so I was very fortunate. Uh, believe it or not, my current boss uh, was actually my high school strength and conditioning coach. Um, oh, no way. So, yeah, it was very uh, right place, right time, right, like mm-hmm. they say. Um, and she inspired me to, to get into this profession firsthand. Um, I saw that, um, you know, you could have a, a perfect amount of empathy for the kids, but also a little bit of push. And for me, I wanted to get involved in sports. I really like the sports psychology side and uh, at working out. And obviously it benefited me as an athlete at that time. So started off with that. Um, started working with her um, very, very early on. So I was about 16 years old when I started my first assistant strength coach job. Uncertified, just really assistant, helping out. Um, and then once college came around my senior year, uh, she, she really pushed me to apply to a few different schools. And she said, hey, you got to go to Springfield College. You know, that's that's the Mecca around these areas. Um, and you got to you got to go for applied exercise science. So applied, got in. Um, I was very, very fortunate for my time there to be surrounded by a lot of like minded individuals, um, but also, you know, a great uh, staff and curriculum. So they emphasize, you know, hence the applied portion. They emphasize a lot of hands on practical experience. So from my first year, we were doing practicum classes, we were doing internships, um, you know, you name it, we were, we were doing it all the way through my senior year. So I really knew as I was going, hey, I want to be a strength and conditioning coach. Um, and then along, along the way, I started to do some research studies and help out with some of the projects that were going on there for some of the uh, master's students and the dissertation people. Um, so through doing that, I was like, hey, you know, I really like the sports science side as well. So I did a few different internships um, and through that time, it just reassured, hey, I wanna do collegiate strength and conditioning. I did a private sector internship. I did a couple in college. uh, And then my big one was out at Stanford University for about six months. And when I spent the time out there, I knew, hey, this is definitely what I wanna do. And I was also fortunate to work with their director of applied sports science. 
So I get to see both sides of the spectrum, uh, see how that dual role uh, can, can be like. And then um, from there, you know, it just, uh, it really sparked things and, and knew that I needed to get my master's to get into the college sector and then get my certification. So talk about how you made your way to ASU for the grad assistant position. You just sort of led right into that, but what was the application process like and how did you choose what was best for you um, school-wise, fit-wise? Yeah, um, I mean, it, it's a challenging process. I mean, this, this field is definitely saturated, um, not in a bad way, but, you know, it's, it's hard to come by, especially in the college side. But I knew for me, uh, in order to separate myself, I had to get as much experience as possible. And I chose not to continue uh, playing a sport in college. So in a weird way, that kind of benefited me because I was able to put all that time that I might be contributing towards sport, towards volunteering. Um, so I guess to kind of just take you through a, a brief uh, a synopsis of that, uh, I started out as an intern at Springfield, just working with uh, the men's basketball program. And that was my first and second year. Um, did that with one of my uh, my uh, best friends to this day, but my roommate. And, and I was fortunate that we uh, pushed each other to do that. Learned a whole lot, but not a lot of coaching at that time. Obviously, they had certified people in there and we were just doing a lot of the you know the weight room maintenance and setting it up and breaking down training sessions. Um, and then from there, I had a, a very, very important um, experience for myself because on the side, I was going home in the summers. I was coaching at, at my high school, still doing that but I needed something new to, to, to really take me to, uh, you know, uh, broaden my horizon a little bit more. And I, I went and interned uh, up in Woburn in, in Middleton, Mass at Mike Boyle Strength and Conditioning. So that showed me the private sector, but more importantly, what that really showed me was, you know, the business side, but how to really coach any athlete or any person. So I worked from, uh, you know, any different type of population of this is a middle school level athlete all the way to high school, college, and even some professional. But then the really, you know, liberating experiences were working with those with, you know, type two diabetes, or, um, you know, maybe they came back from a, from a huge chronic injury and getting that experience really opened up my eyes to how to coach, how to work with people, um, how to get, help them see their goals through. So from there I said, Hey, you know, I like this, but I'm, I'm a little bit nervous about the idea of having to always be, um, relying on someone showing up for a session to get paid and, you know, make a living. And that's sadly kind of the harsh reality. Um, but I knew from there I was going to go to, I wanted to do college. So actually during that internship, one day, uh, Jeff Oliver was the director of strength and conditioning at Holy Cross. He walked into the weight room again, right place, right time. Asked if, you know, anyone was interested, exchanged contact information that fall after that summer, went there and, and interned there. Um, worked with a few different teams, saw what the college setting was like. And I knew for me, like, yeah, this is, this is probably where I wanted to be. It's a perfect mix of, you know, you have the student athletes who are still trying to develop and find, find their way um, and improve their athletic performance. But at the same time, uh, they know why they're there and they're committed to it. And it's not a job, but, you know, it's getting to that point nowadays, but did that. And then from there, my, my, uh, current boss, uh, Leanne Blinn, she was like, Hey, you know, you're, you're on the right tracks and you got to get your, uh, experience to be as competitive as, as possible. So when you're going to look for GA positions. So what I did was, um, for my big spring at Springfield, we had two internships. The first one I did was for credit was the Mike Boyles one. And then the second one, which was, uh, 
a thousand hour internship for me, I went out to uh, California, went to Stanford, um, but spent six months there. And um, it was very nice. I did all my other undergrad work uh, online. So it was two courses online and then got to focus there and really hone in on, on seeing what this was all about. And then like I alluded to before, got onto the sports science side, knew that that was a huge piece and that's up and coming in the States now. Um, so did all of that. During that time, I started studying for uh, the CSCS, so Certified Strength and Conditioning Specialist, because I knew that that's required to get a job. Um, ended up getting that, coming here as GA. Um, that, was, that was an extensive process as well. Uh, there were some ups and downs. Uh, along the way, I was looking at a couple other schools. I was looking at maybe staying at Springfield, staying uh, close by to family back in, in the New England area. But I knew for me, you know, this would be division one. This would be an experience. I would be exposed to 26 different varsity sports um, and really be able to take it in and, and learn on the fly and, 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 you know, be a fly on the walls, like they say. So I came in uh, definitely, uh, you know, the first couple of years. So two years as a GA is what I did. I got my master's. So I accomplished two things. I had my master's paid for in, in return for work. And then I also had my certification. So I accomplished those things. Um, and at that point, my first year, I'd had no sports. So all I did was assist everyone else. So I got a whole plethora of experience that way. I picked up water polo after that. And then I really started diving into the sports science side. Um, and then now in my current role, as I said before, it, it really led me to uh, four sports and, and being prepared for that. So a long process along the way, um, but it was all worth it in the end. And, and it really does, does pay off. So, so I'm fortunate for, um, you know, I guess they say it's uh, not who you know, but who knows you. So I'm, I'm grateful that the work paid off and, and got to know the right people along the way. How have you grown through the responsibilities you have had at ASU? And have you utilized different resources and people to help you cultivate a style of your own or even just learning from others and picking up a little bit from everybody? Yeah, I think, I think there's, it's a mixture. Um, I always say, I always say, you know, I try and try and be like a chameleon and, and be able to be adaptable to not only the athletes, because every year it's different, but also um, staying true to myself. So I take the good and, and leave the bad, I guess I could say. So every experience brought a little bit of both. Um, each one made me better. And I realized, you know, in order to be the coach I want to be, I have to be true to who I am. Um, and then I have to have principles. So, uh, you know, different like coaching philosophy, that's going to change over time. But if I have principles I can stick by um, and things that I know within my program, you know, within my leadership style, within my coaching style, they're all going to align. And that's that's, you know, it's going to it's going to evolve over time, but it's going to stay relatively the same. That was kind of the outlook I had. Um, and then the biggest thing was continued education. So I was fortunate here. Uh, when I got here, Leanne pushed me into uh, working under some some great staff members uh, at the time. So the person who was in the position before me, Gavin Walker, um, you know, I owe a lot to him. He was he was a big mentor for me when I stepped in here, and he really pushed me and and threw me in the fire. So that coaching experience was probably the biggest piece. But along the way, um, you know, COVID hit, and that that opened up in a time that uh, you know none of us were ready for. But what it allowed me to do was take a step back and say, 
you know, now that I have this time in my hands, what can I do to, uh, I guess, elevate my, elevate my role and, and what can I do for others to make their job easier? And one piece was we had just got a lot of sports technology. So, uh, I kind of glued myself to my computer, uh, studied as much as I could, read a bunch of books, um, within the field. And then also spent a lot of time watching YouTube videos and tutorials and figured out, you know, how do I do data visualization stuff? How do I do some software programming? And from that made a bunch of tools that made things easier for everyone on staff. Uh, being on the college side, which I'll get into a little later, is obviously, uh, a, you know, moving parts at all times, but it's a long extended day, which people don't realize um, because you have your mornings and then your afternoons. And then that lunch period time is really when you take advantage of uh, things like this or programming and just staying on top of it. Um, but I guess to kind of, to summarize that, those are the biggest pieces. And then the continued education point, our director has been awesome. She makes sure it's, it's factored in to have us take opportunities. So some people go to conferences for continued education and they go and learn from, from you know, guest speakers who have years of experience. Um, and then other people approach other certifications and uh, courses. So I've been fortunate to do about five to 10 since I've been here. Um, certifications, I would say for anyone coming up in this, it's get what you need, which is the CSCS from the NSCA. Um, another one option is the CSCCA from uh, the SCCC. <laughs> so it's another strength and conditioning organization. Um, one, that one's a little bit more applied, but this one is a test and you just need your bachelor's to get it. But those are going to make you more marketable. And then from there, uh, I got the USA weightlifting so I can coach weightlifting movements. So it helps uh, diversify my portfolio as a coach. And then I got uh, precision nutrition certification. So I can talk to the athletes about that. I'm not a registered dietitian, but I can help lead them in the right direction. Um, and then the one I most recently got um, last year was the certified performance and sports scientist certification, um, which that is also from the NSA that's brand new. And again, knowing the route, how can I diversify things? Uh, I was able to tack on about four intern, four, excuse me, four certifications uh, to having a master's degree and the experience level. So uh, to summarize everything there, I was fortunate last year, I moved up into a paid intern position. Traditionally, a lot of people move on from being a grad assistant for two years and they go and take a full-time position. I really believed in what we're doing here at ASU. And I believe that an opportunity would come up um, and fortunate for me and the timing worked out like it, like it has, and you know, the right people at the right time. So when my coworker moved on from this role about a year ago, um, you know, my boss came directly to me and said, Hey, you're ready for this. You've been assisting him. You've been learning with him and you have all these other means that you've, you've helped yourself create. So, you know, our administration's on board and our staff's on board. So would you like this job? So I was very fortunate from all of that. It took a lot of time, a lot of effort, uh, a lot of ups and downs, but learn from it all. And, and uh, hopefully that, uh, I know it's a long-winded answer, but packs a, a, a deep in-depth view of what it, what it kind of takes. So let's dive deeper into, we're, we're gonna start smaller and then think more year long, bigger picture. So mm -hmm. let's dive deeper into what exactly you are doing on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, so walk us just through a typical day of work for you and what athletes are you working with? How do you plan their training for the day? And 
what's kind of your, um, atmosphere, like training atmosphere, work atmosphere, like. So yeah, typical day to day. Um, it's ever changing. Um, you know, student athletes, their schedule, uh, they're, they have class conflicts, they have injuries, they have different things come up, uh, team travel, um, uh, same thing with sport coaches, you know, things come up, but for the most part, we have a pretty structured schedule. Um, so we're pretty fortunate. We have three different weight rooms. Um, that's not even including uh, football. So I'm in the bigger weight room and we have about 20 racks, whole bunch of equipment. It's a giant jungle gym with everything you could ever need for someone, whether they can do every exercise or they're very restricted and need modifications. Um, but a typical day-to-day, -day, uh, depending on on the day of the week, uh, you know, getting in the morning, try and get my work out in first before I start my day, um, because things do get crazy fast. Um, usually in the morning, if, if other coaches are here, we just do a quick debrief, just check in, Hey, you know, anything new on your end or your team's changing, um, you know, anything that we need to be aware of. And then from there, uh, you know, once we're done opening up the facility and getting things ready to roll, um, for me, I have water polo at 6.45. So they'll come in, they'll do some foam rolling, uh, and then we'll spend an hour working out. So for them, it's going to look a little bit different than some other teams, but I'm fortunate. Uh, a lot of my sports are similar to aquatic sports, and then volleyball has some similarities as well. Um, so each sport brings something different, but I'll have that first session. Following that, I usually have another team, which in this case would be volleyball. Um, following that, I have a post-collegiate swimmer come in and then from there, uh, I go over to practice. I set up for the volleyball, uh, connects on, uh, player tracking technology that I was talking about. I make sure all the girls are wearing it and make sure it's, uh, running smoothly. I can see the live data, uh, check in with the coaching staff. Then I make my way back over here, finish up the sessions I have, um, try and sneak in uh, at that point, probably like a, a quick snack, second breakfast, uh, <laughs> keep the energy going. Uh, and then from there, I usually uh, come to my, my uh, laptop and I sit here. I either have meetings like we're having right now uh, for this podcast. Uh, that could be with anyone from maybe it's a, a, a technology vendor and we're talking about a specific product. Uh, maybe it's with the coaching staff. We do weekly performance meetings. Um, other times it could be, uh, you know, different things that come up. Hey, someone calls me quick. Can we restructure this for today's schedule? Um, so there's ongoing communication with everything. Um, but that's kind of the middle of the day. It gives us a little bit of downtime. I can also sit at my computer and, and do my programming so I can get my workouts ready to go for following weeks, always trying to stay proactive. So what we typically will do is like a three or four week, uh, lifting card. And then same thing for uh, speed and conditioning stuff. So we're always aware of when those things will end and when we need to move on. Um, then once that, once that ends, uh, we're, we're gearing up here in an hour, we're going to have our swim group come in. We'll have the men's group first. Following that, we'll have the women's group. Um, after all that's done, there's usually something that happens within that session that I need to uh, you know, reflect on. So I always sit down with my journal. I take in the day. Hey, what could I do better as a coach? Uh, what came up that I need to be aware of? What do I need to make notes on? Um, that usually takes a few hours. I also do a lot of data input at that point. So I pull the data, um, you know, export it to a CSV file from a cloud system, 
and then I bring it into the software that I use, and then I can see the data in front of me. What does an athlete's readiness look like? How are they performing? And how do I communicate that? Um, from there, I, I spend the last part of my day is usually um, making sure that I get my volleyball reports out. So every day I send a report to the coaches. This is how the girls jump today on their vertical jump testing. And this is how uh, they looked on the Connexon. So this is what their workload looks like. This is what their jumps look like. And that actually helps us plan out the next day. So in a weird sense, we have weeks planned in advance, but we also understand that being a college student athlete has a lot of different factors. So we need to make changes on the fly. Um, but that will usually conclude my day and then get out of here, uh, depending on the day, about 6 to 7 p.m. So it's, it's a 12-hour day. It's packed. Um, and that def definitely will differ depending on the individual and the teams you have. So some other people uh, on my staff, we have nine people. So we have a bigger staff for, for college. Some people have morning teams and they have their afternoons to do what they need to do uh, work-wise. And then other people have evening teams. Um, so we work around that and everyone kind of has a similar schedule, but a little bit different based on your teams. Okay, so now I want to sort of get a really in-depth idea of what an entire year would be like in your shoes as a sports performance coach. So let's just pretend or um, take a sport, for example, like the women's water polo team, and let's just go through how you plan an entire year of their training and all the other aspects that go into your job. So women's water polo is a spring sport. So Let's begin at the beginning of a school year in the fall, which would be um, the water women's water polos off season. So what is your focus during a team's off season? Um, how do you plan? How individualized is training? And um, kind of just walk us through your focus during a team's off season. To kind of, uh, I guess, go over that, entirely when we when we plan something out uh we want to think about uh two things primarily number one the first one is uh if we're looking at a whole year let's plan for best case scenario so best case scenario we're going to the national championship so we're going to plan out as far as we can get for that and then the second piece of that is what we call reverse engineering so what we want to do is we want to start from where you're going to get to and then work back from there so if I know what the uh, end goal is and what we need to be like and when we're peaking and, and at our highest performance level, uh, I, can, I can structure everything else to prepare for that. So water polo is a unique sport. A lot, of, a lot of times now, these college sports have fall and spring seasons. You know, they'll have a main competitive season, and then they'll have that kind of secondary season. For them, they actually don't play at all in the fall. So what's nice about that is we can have a traditional off season where I know I have a lot of time, where maybe another sport like swimming, they come in for about a month and a half and we're getting ball rolling and they start to compete. So for water polo, having that time, what that typically looks like, uh, it starts very early, but throughout the summer months, getting ready for the season, they come back in uh, middle of August. I, I check in with the coaches. We kind of plan out what an ideal uh, structure will look like for that fall season. So what's their training schedule look like? Um, you know, what practice times will they have? What time would they like them to be with me? Do they need additional stuff? Do they need condition? Do they need mobility workouts? Um, 
in that meeting, we call it an all hands on deck meeting. So we'll have the athletic trainer in there as well. Uh, the physical therapist is kind of kept in the loop, but uh, there's only one we have and he does an amazing job, but he's, he's very uh, spread thin. So we just kind of keep him in the communication line uh, with any important information he needs to know. Um, but we kind of plan out, hey, this is, this is where we're coming in. So we have an incoming freshman group. Um, and then we also have our returners. So maybe there's injuries or different things we don't plan for. So we want to take all that into account. So we have our schedule. We also understand, uh, you know, what we're working with with the population. From there, uh, they come in. And in college athletics, is a little different. So traditional strength training, a lot of people want to talk about uh, progressive overload, right? So, you know, that might look as simple as, hey, if I'm doing a dumbbell bench press, if I do 50 pounds this week, you know, next week I want to increase by five pounds, 10 pounds. So there's different ways to uh, alter the variation, but that would just be a simple example. Um, but I guess that is traditional model and that's what's called a linear model. So we go from one adaptation. So we go from, hey, we're going to build up our work capacity or uh, build our strength endurance. And we're going to get that basic level and then from there, we're going to go to a more uh, strength-based program. So that'll last a few weeks. And then from there, we go to power. And then from there, we go to peaking. So that would be what traditionally people think. Um, but being college athletes and understanding the time frame, we do something called uh, undulation training. So daily undulation. So we understand that if they have a hard practice over at the pool, we can work with that and match that intensity over here. So instead of, uh, so let's say they have a hard practice on Monday and then they come in and lift with me on Tuesday um, and then we go hard then, it's, it's just gonna kind of set their, their whole you know, bodily system off. So we try to avoid that, but to kind of give a more, more in-depth view of what we actually do, they come in for those first few weeks, we separate into two groups. So I have a intro group, um, so those could be, Regardless of your training age, whether you've lifted a weight for the first time on the first day or you've never done or, or you've uh, been training for a few years, you'll be in that group. So that's freshmen or uh, any transfers. So they just get accustomed to how the system works here. And then the other group is the returners. And everyone's on a similar model. Um, but how we individualize that is based off uh, the, position, the, the, the position they're in in terms of their academic year. So. We focus for the first about four weeks, we really focus on let's get them back into shape. Let's get their bodies moving. Um, you know, they're coming off the summer months of being on a break. How do we kind of get them to the point where they're going to be ready for harder training? Right. So with me, we do some, some strength based workouts on top of some circuits worked into there. Um, and then they do a lot of conditioning and stuff on the pool side to get them ready to swim and, and be able to, uh, prepare for the demands of, of what water polo will take come the spring. We also make it fun within the off season. So along the lines, not only to increase intent and competition, but we make sure that uh, we're offering uh, some, some uh, competitive nature where we split up into groups, maroon and gold. So during this time, mm -hmm. every phase, um, so say whatever the adaptation or, or you know, uh, we're looking for, we want to make sure we do testing before and at the end. So that could be a strength test. That could be a um, neuromuscular test, like a, a vertical jump. 
and we have the pieces of technology to measure that objectively. And what we do with that is not only just measure it so I can look at it and tell the coaches or make my own changes, but we make that part of a competition. So when we split them up into those groups, they not only go and jump now for themselves, but they jump for their team. So we make that fun. So each phase, we just see where we're at and, and I can modify off that. But looking at it as if everything went well, that second phase, uh, we start to build our strength back. We increase our intensities in terms of what we're doing for the workouts. Um, we start to move away from maybe some, uh, some more functional movements, I guess people would say, where it's you know more dumbbells based, things like that. We start to incorporate some barbells. We start to incorporate some power exercises. And we start really work on that. And then every day there's an, an uh, intent behind it. So uh, we'll have a, a, a max strength day. So that's the day that we're, we're going harder in terms of strength. We'll have a power-based day. Um, and then we'll have another day where uh, we're working on strength and power, but it's a little bit different. It's called uh, dynamic effort. So it'd be moving a heavier weight at a fast speed. So we think about those things. Um, and then as that semester goes on, that sets us up to the next four-week block. And we usually have about 16, 17 weeks in a semester. So the next block would be, you know, a strength power block. So now we're taking the strength we just got, we're developing that further. Around this point is where I reintegrate the freshmen with um, the rest of the group. We're now a team, cohesive unit, and they're now challenged to uh, not only be using the experience that they just developed and now that they're more acclimated, but they're also challenged to work uh, and push their upperclassmen the same way the upperclassmen need to push them. So uh, that, at that point in time, usually around the six or eight week period is when we really start to see improvements um, in terms of strength, power, all those things, and just being accustomed to what we do. And then we spend that second half of the semester, like I said, we, we do strength power, move on to a power phase um, and just get them as fresh and ready, as good, ready to go and, and strong as they need to be. Because for them, They'll finish the fall semester. They'll go home for about a week and a half, two weeks for Christmas break. And then they come back and they start their preseason training and then the season starts. So that's kind of a glimpse of the fall. Apologies. I know that's a lot of information, but um, we kind of think with the end in mind in terms of, you know, what May is going to look like, but we really focus on what are those 16 weeks across the fall semester. And then when they move into the springtime, now they're busy with travel and games each week. So how has your focus now changed and your priorities changed as a sports performance coach when the team is in season? Absolutely. Um, yeah. So I think, I think, uh, you know, exactly what you're getting at is, is, is a big, big point of emphasis that I should mention is off season period coaches are super uh, bought into the weight room and super bought into let's develop these athletes so that they can perform at their highest level. So that's a lot of skill-based stuff in water polo. And that's a lot of conditioning to get them in the shape. And then with me, like I said, it's building all these different qualities to get them uh, at peak performance. But when they come back, uh, we have probably for the month of January, there's a couple scrimmages and uh, not a lot of travel. So we get to push a little bit and get them back into shape. Uh, maybe they, you know, took two weeks off for Christmas. In the ideal world, they're still training, um, or at least training a little bit. So during that time, 
uh, is when I now know that, hey, the emphasis now is to aid their performance and keep them ready to go. A lot of times people view this as a maintenance period. And to me, knowing what I know about strength training, uh, residual training effects, so how long uh, an adaptation can actually last, like how long can you maintain your conditioning or your max strength levels, knowing those things and taking them into account, I try and uh, formulate the workouts in a way that our volume comes down. So they're not as sore, but our intensities can stay high. So they can push heavier weights um, and they can move at a faster speed. So our strength's going to go up, our power is going to go up, but they're not going to be going over to practice and really taking away from what they need to do there because that's the most critical point at that point. Um, and we try and push to the point where they are still getting stronger in season and they're getting powerful in season and they're ready to go. So for them, it kind of fluctuates. They don't have a match every weekend. So we understand there's certain times of the year uh, in terms of the spring semester where we can train a little bit harder with the weight room with me. And then there's other times that we pull back. So to kind of give a glimpse of that, they're a unique sport. They could play anywhere from two to four matches in a weekend. So most teams could do one or two games. Um, you can get away with that a little bit because it's a water-based sport. So it's not land-based. So the stress level is a little different, but you still get beat up and they're very physical in the water. Um, so in knowing all of that, a lot of times they have to have a mandatory day off after a weekend, or to your point, if they're traveling, they might leave on a Wednesday or Thursday. So if that happens, we traditionally train Monday, Wednesday, Friday. I have to alter things in a way that maybe Monday is going to be more recovery-based workout, or maybe Friday is going to be more uh, power potentiation, get them feeling fresh and ready to go for the weekend. Um, and in doing all of that, it's very important to make sure that, again, I'm aiding in what they need, but understanding that they're water polo players. They came here to be that. They did not come here to be weightlifters. So I need to uh, make the changes on the fly to make sure that uh, they're as ready as they can be to play. And then another big piece of that is the unfortunate reality. So we haven't had too many soft tissue injuries in my time here, which is really, really nice to see um, because strength training is going to benefit uh, towards avoiding that stuff. But unfortunately, there's a lot of uh, chronic injuries. There's a lot of hip injuries, uh, hip labral tears that you see in the sport of water polo from the egg beater motion they do to tread water. Um, there's a lot of shoulder slap tears, different things. They hold the ball um, and see out the motion there when they go to make a shot or pass. And there's a lot of contact. So there's a lot of concussions. If you get a ball to the face, you get an arm to the face. There's so many different things that factor in. So my plan, a lot of times, can get completely uh, you know, flipped, flipped completely because they'll come in here. And that's when my communication with the athletic trainer gets really, really, really uh, important and more consistent because she's sending me uh, daily reports on, Hey, this is the status of so-and-so um, she's having pain here or this injury. This is her limitations in the weight room. So then I can go and adjust the workout card to address that. Um, so it makes things a little more challenging in that sense. And they do spend a little bit less time with me. It's probably about two times a week on the uh, heavy travel game weeks. And then about three times a week when we do have a little bit more time when they have uh, kind of those periods of not playing matches. But with all that being said, the biggest point in season 
is what are we doing in the months of uh, April to prepare them for uh, their MPSF, so their conference championship? And then what are we doing if they're fortunate enough to get selected for the NCAA championship? What are we doing to prepare them for that? So that's where that annual plan comes back into play of, okay, I've had this mapped out, but now as we inch closer, maybe we're not going to make NCAAs or maybe conference championships is going to be that point in time where we need to be as fresh and ready to go to play. So what I had planned for this period, I'm actually going to move forward three weeks so that we can be ready for that. So it's making those adjustments as you go um, to really hone in on um, keeping their performance where that needs to be and then reducing your chances of injury and uh, modifying for the injuries that do come up. Knowing that you are really involved with different technologies and kind of the science behind, behind the work that athletes are putting in, how, like outside of injury, how are you evaluating their need for recovery? Like, I think I saw that you're wearing a, a whoop. Um, like, do you, with the technology you have, are you objectively measuring different like individualized how much recovery someone needs whether it's sleep or travel or just the wear and tear they have from their practices like how are you measuring how much recovery you think you need to help them incorporate yeah I mean that, that's a great question um yeah so the the boot piece uh we have a few student athletes who wear them whether they purchase them themselves also Adidas has a partnership with Whoop, so I've been able to distribute mm -hmm. some to them Understandably so, with any wearable, there's going to be a little bit of uh, uh, inaccuracy, but it still is more of an objective measure than just simply asking them how they feel, because sometimes they can't perceive that very well. Um, but that's where we, that's the starting point. So it could be a simple conversation of, uh, you know, what's your rate of perceived exertion for this session? So one to 10, give me a rating, um, 10 being hardest workout you've ever done, one being the easiest thing or at rest, you know, sitting down. So we, we factor those things in. I always do it for our lifts so I can make sure, number one, is this workout actually as hard as it's supposed to be or as easy as it's supposed to be? So it's matching, like I said, the practices intensity. Um, but also maybe someone says it's a nine and a half and someone else says it's a six. So that person who says it's a six, well, is that because, you know, maybe they can handle a little bit more or is that because something's going on? So it always strikes conversations like that. Honestly, the biggest assessment tool you can use is just how are you today? How are you feeling? Um, so those are the really the subjective pieces. We've tracked some of that over time and just and just see trends. But to get to the objective piece, um, we do a couple different tests. So a few of those. Uh, so there, there's basically three pieces that we use with water polo. Uh, the biggest one, like I said before, is the neuromuscular assessment. So that'll be every Monday morning they come in after weekend, whether they played or didn't do anything um, or just had practice, they'll come in and they'll do a counter movement jump. We'll have them hold their hands on their hips. They'll perform three jumps. Um, we do the hands on hips to standardize it so it doesn't mess with it. But what we do it on is a, a force plate. So we have dual force plates and those measure force and time uh, and a bunch of different other variables. So from that, we can see, uh, are they favoring left versus right leg? Um, do they have any symmetry that we need to need to be uh, aware of? Is that can is that trending in the wrong direction? Um, what does their peak power level look like? What does their jump height look like? Uh, 
what does their explosiveness uh, or reactive strength look like? So there's different metrics that I know and I use as key performance indicators to adjust on the fly. So majority of times we understand that there's going to be stress and there's going to be fatigue and they're going to eventually adapt to it. Um, and that has to happen to get those adaptations, but sometimes they're just going to be in the hole. So if they play a four match weekend and they come in and they jump, I'm, I'm nine times out of 10, they're going to be down and I need to then adjust the workout. So it wouldn't make sense for someone who's playing all these minutes and not subbing out at all for four matches to be doing the same thing as someone else who isn't playing at all. So I adjust the workout programs based on that. And I even do daily uh, readiness checks like that jump to make sure that I can just maybe even have to write on their workout card for that day. Hey, we're cutting this set out. We're cutting this exercise to really help them recover and stay ready to play. Um, that's the big one we do. Um, another, another test that we do as well is on those same force plates, we can do what's called the isometric mid thigh pull. And that's a maximal strength exercise uh, test. And from that we can take, uh, we can find their dynamic strength deficit. It's also called dynamic strength index, but it's a, just a ratio that basically tells you what they need for training. It's just one means of a measurement. So it's not going to be the end all be all, but it'll help guide you. So what it takes is the peak uh, power or peak force, excuse me, on the way up in a jump. So from that first test we do, and then this maximal strength test, they go under this movable object. They pull up as hard as they can. They try and, you know, pull a rack off the ground is what we like to say um, and push through the floor as hard as you can. The force plate picks up those forces and the peak force from that, we divide the two. So the, the jump, so that, that dynamic ballistic movement and then um, from the peak force output on the pull. And from that, it can tell you, hey, if they have a, basically the higher the, the ratio, um, the more likely they, they need to work on strength and then the lower the ratio uh, it will tell you uh, if they need more power-based training sometimes people fall in between the two which we know so what's really important about this is understanding that most student athletes come in like i said everyone's training age is different so some people have trained for multiple years in a strength and conditioning resistance training setting some people haven't at all so we take that into account but then we can also track long-term athletic development so if they're here for four to five years, well, maybe someone who's been with me for four years, they understand my program and they're very strong. They could actually do something a little bit more speed based or power based. So we'll we'll adjust based on that. Um, and we use that data to help us. But majority of the time, we just monitor those things over time. So that tests where they do the isometric mid thigh pull. We do that a couple of times a semester. Um, and then the jump test we do weekly. And then another really cool piece of technology that we, we use, we use this a couple times a week um, is our gym awares, which are velocity-based training tools. So it's called a linear positional transducer. Bunch of fancy terms, but long story short, just think about if you attached a string to a barbell that was on your back or maybe in another position and it had its starting point end up here, you got a stopwatch and someone went down in a squat and they came up and you timed how fast they came up. That's basically what we get from it. So just like the force plate, as we know in physics, there's a bunch of different equations that you can use to get power, force, velocity. So with these Jimora units, uh, we can auto-regulate training. So instead of me saying, 
hey, you need to be at 85% of your one rep max today for this exercise. I can actually say, hey, this is the speed zone you need to be in between. And this is going to work on this quality. And if I, so basically the faster you go, the lighter the weight should be. And then the slower you go on the way up, the heavier weight. Um, and I can give them a specific speed so they can come in. And a lot of times someone will be training and they'll be doing that exercise for the day and they have, they're, they're seeing their speed. So we have a iPad set up and the unit attached. It's not actually a uh, string and a stopwatch. It's a, the, the unit I was talking about where you attach a little tether, strap it onto the barbell and then measure the speed. So when we do that, they have an iPad that shows their name. It shows the exercise, it shows how many reps they should be doing. It shows what speed they should be at, and it actually dings and flashes green. So it gives them that feedback. So it tells them, hey, you got this or you didn't. We also have a little leaderboard feature, so everyone gets competitive. Um, but it's really nice because it does, it does one of two things. It either tells you that someone's uh, weight for that day that, they should be, that I prescribed is actually too much because their body isn't ready to take on that stress. Or someone probably could be pushing a little bit harder. So it helps us keep, keep the accountability there. And that's just something that a lot of people use uh, in the field in the in-season period, but I like to also implement it uh, at the end of the fall to really see where we're at. Um, but with all that being said, it basically, like I said, helps us regulate where they're currently at. And in knowing that within the research, it says one rep max could fluctuate between 18% a day, which that is an uh, absurd number if you think about it so that means you know one day I could do this much weight and the next day that might be 30 pounds less um it's not as cut and dry as that but the point being we have this speed measure to allow us to uh, adjust training and go from there so I take those three into account I track those things over time I am also able to do different profiles so I can see what an athlete's improvement's like um, a lot of times you know if they're not improving I can actually have objective data to take to a coach, to show an athlete, uh, to look at myself and know, hey, we're all on the same page here. And there's clearly some changes that we need to make to make sure this person is ready to play uh, and perform. Because at the end of the day, we're preparing for sport and the needs there. So I just have a couple questions left. So I'm going to try to shift a little bit. Um, just in terms of being a good coach to athletes how important is it to build relationships with these athletes and what have you learned are some do's and some don'ts even as a sports performance coach to get the best out of the athletes that's a, that's another great question um i think everything that i just said before that has no uh substance to anyone if they're not bought into what you're doing and they don't trust you. So relationships are, are everything. Um, we have a lot of different personalities. It doesn't mean just because one team comes in that every, every athlete is gonna be the same. A lot of people are different. Uh, being college athletes, there's a lot of different um, factors. You know, There could be emotional responses to relationship status. There could be um, stress from school, home situations, being homesick, practice stress, weight room stress. There's so many different factors that we have to take into account. So every day um, I always try and approach uh, the situation with every student athlete 
as being that positive person to make their day to start the day. So maybe it's just addressing them by their name. Everyone loves to hear their name. Uh, everyone likes to be noticed. Um, it could also just be, you know, following up on something they had previously told me. So maybe I bring up something that they said about their family or something they did over the weekend. Um, just create that connection. Got to know names um, and just be yourself. So I think for me, like I said, in order to create that buy-in and more importantly, create relationships that, that are going to be long lasting. Um, it's not just about what they do now, but I want to see down the line, Hey, you just got married to so-and-so, Hey, you're doing this in your life. Like that's what truly matters. And it's about serving people and, and helping them now, but preparing them for the future as well. Um, so with all that taken into account, I am always, uh, I feel like I'm very uh, cognizant of when people are uncomfortable. So maybe that's because they've never done something before. Um, it's very new to them. And I'm not a huge guy myself and I try and be as friendly as possible. So I, I try not to intimidate anyone and I always just try and meet them where they're at. So if I can see it, they're in a fight or flight, they're freaking out, they're not ready for this. I always try and just meet them head on. So we'll, I'll crack a joke. I'll talk about my first experience in the weight room, which was just like anyone else's. It was a struggle. Um, find a way to connect to them and just, and just make that, that uh, initial connection. And then on the other hand, if someone comes in and they're, they're very um, I don't know, eager to push, it's about educating them. So I can't tell them to do anything without understanding what they came from and what their experiences are. So if someone's done a back squat before, but we don't back squat right away, it's going to confuse them because they, they don't do this, you know, for a living, but I need to find ways to educate them. Um, so we do all of that. And the biggest thing, I guess, with relationships to, to kind of, to, to emphasize the most is understand that athletes are going to judge you based off their connection with you. Do they trust you? Do they appreciate you? And do they feel like they're being validated and heard more so than do I have the best program in the world? Am I making you as strong as possible? Um, all those things do increase confidence for sure. But at the end of the day, it's, it's really about making those connections. Um, and that's, that's what matters the most to me. And just being able to pick up on that, that kid in the room who is really like, I, I really have, have a knack for, uh, uh, it's kind of my favorite thing is, is understanding when someone isn't feeling comfortable because I want to find a way to make them because we've all been there. And then on the other end of the spectrum is someone who's very confident in themselves, helping them create that environment for the rest of the team. So we take that culture aspect and we try and uh, embody different things, whether it's within our training or it's within just our day to day interactions that we're actually developing those relationships. Um, and lastly, I know we're run you have somewhere to be, but um, if you were giving advice to a college student who wants to be working with athletes as a sports performance coach, as a sports scientist, as a strength and conditioning coach, all of your different roles, what would be your advice to someone that wants to pursue that those fields? Well, this this question, you know, I think about it all the time. Um, and I, th I think the biggest ones, you know, and I just, I thought about a few before this was just be a sponge, um, be able to put your guard down and um, embrace the situation and understand that you might have that experience and you might not agree with something, but um, 
there's got to be a respect level for what people are doing, but also an understanding of, hey, this is something I'm learning currently, and I can apply this later, or I can learn from it and, and you know, create questions. Um, definitely be curious. So always ask questions, always follow up, use your resources, um, make those connections. I think nowadays, there's so much social media, uh, there's so much information that's out there, and it's, it's, it's uh, you know, freely available. And a lot of times we just are consumers without actually like providing something. So I think the biggest thing for me, obviously, a lot of stuff's right place, right time, and who and who knows you, but um, it's about reaching out to, you know, people, whether that's a, a, a an email or, um, you know, providing something in the email that, hey, I'm not just reaching out to you because I want to learn about who you are, or I want to take something from you, but hey, you know, I'm really interested in X, Y, and Z. This is what I'm currently doing in my, you know, experiences. How do I get to where you are? Because at the end of the day, people like to talk about themselves and people want to also help you get there because they've been in that experience. Um, I think when you do that, it helps market yourself better. It helps you stand out. Um, and then kind of what I said before, just, just the last one here would be just help others be better at their job. Um, you'll inherently get better and you'll be valued more in your role. And that's going to help you push forward. Um, too many times people kind of move through this of why do I have to work volunteer hours? Um, you know, why do I have to help do this team? Why do I have to stock the nutrition fridges? But understand that the noble tasks have to get done and that it does pay off in the end. Um, let myself be living proof of that and so many others uh, within the field because it does pay off in the end and you become a better person and a better staff member and, and, and all that good stuff. Well, Coach Garrity, thank you so much for spending the time with us um, to share your journey into becoming a sports performance coach at Arizona State. Um, we very much appreciate your generosity and wisdom, and hopefully we helped unpack all that sports performance coaching, strength and conditioning, sports science. Hopefully we helped unpack all that that is and all that that can be for someone that's interested in the field so thank you so much for your time yeah thank you so much for having them really really uh, honored and, and appreciate appreciate you uh, reaching out about this opportunity and um for the listeners if you guys are ever interested in learning more about what we do please feel free to reach out um and if ever, anyone's looking for volunteer opportunities we're, we're always uh, available for that too that's a wrap on our second episode of behind every great athlete the sports medicine and performance podcast if you're interested in strength and conditioning sports science jake garrity the arizona state sports performance staff or have any questions for us behind the podcast please see the links in our episode notes that will be our hub to provide more information on guests we have on the show opportunities for volunteer hours, internships, or other experiences within the sports medicine and performance fields and more. So come back to us for episode three, where we are interviewing Arizona State University athletic trainer, Amanda Doyle, who will share her knowledge and insight into the athletic training field. That is all for today, everybody. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed and please come back to listen soon.